I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be looking at that passage more in depth. But if you are new to our Father, you're a guest or a visitor, especially if you're exploring Christianity, if you're not sure what you know or believe about Christianity, maybe you just came to church for the first time today. This is especially for you. I was trying to think of what it would have been like if a friend invites you to church or you kind of wander into this church for the first time. You're watching online and this is the text that was read. What's going through your mind? Are we at a Harry Potter reading or what? kind of fantasy book is this this is revelation chapter 20 and we don't have time today to go through all the imagery that we see all the symbols that are being unpacked here for us but i want to resource you especially today this is our second to last sermon next week pastor abel is going to preach for us on revelation 21 if you want more insight into this we have a resource for you uh, i'll put heidi's email up on the screen heidi's one of our bible study teachers she's on staff with us she's put together a very nice resource kind of understanding and unpacking some of revelation she's happy to email that to you so if you have any questions after this sermon great resource opportunity for you check out that great great stuff now for today we're going to look at two things mentioned this at the beginning of the service as we look at this image that john is being given here there's two things that we really see first recognizing that we are in the midst of a great spiritual battle we call it spiritual warfare spiritual battle it's battle it's up in the heavens it's unseen and yet we experience it day in day out what does that mean for us and then second when we understand the ultimate victory that belongs to jesus christ that we see here in this text it actually gives us a greater purpose in this life a greater meaning as we go about our daily activities but first, let's begin with this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare that we see. And to do that, I know you are already on Revelation chapter 20, but I want to look at some other verses first to really help us understand what's going on here. Because many people accuse John of being a little bit out of his mind. He's been accused that perhaps he found himself some uh, psychedelic drugs Perhaps he had a really bad meal, he just wasn't feeling good, and he just kind of conjured up all these things. But this is not something, this idea of spiritual battle or Satan having power, this is not something John isolated, uh, came up with on his own. This is a very deep theological principle that we see in Scripture. For example, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he writes this, that we need to put on armor, the armor of God, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil for he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in other words we don't wrestle against today's political movements we don't wrestle against human beings we don't wrestle against a foreign power that's not our biggest enemy if you're a christian here today your biggest enemy according to paul is against the rulers the authorities the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places there's a spiritual battle waging paul says and as christians we need to be aware of it we need to be concerned about that we need to be engaged in that battle peter also picks up on this theme he says that we need to be self-controlled be sober-minded be watchful why because our adversary the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour he's after our very soul so be watchful don't dismiss the spiritual battle. Be ready for it. It's coming. Our great enemy, Satan, wants nothing more than to snatch our soul away, if that was possible. 
And then, of course, Jesus speaks about this all throughout the Gospels. And one of the more famous or well-known places, we've looked at this recently, John 10.10, he calls the devil a thief. He says the thief comes to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. There's a spiritual battle waging around us. And what we see in John chapter 20 is insight into how to fight it. So now, open up your Bibles, John chapter 20. And we see this incredible scene, an angel coming down from heaven. He's got a chain in his hand. He's got a key in the other one, and he throws Satan in this cosmic pit. It reminds me of one of my famous or favorite books from the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is fighting the Balrog. Yes, and Ava. Get excited about that. And he takes his staff, and he slams it on the ground, and he says, you shall not pass. And an epic battle wages. This is kind of what we see here in Revelation chapter 20. Except for one thing that gets people all caught up and bothered and worried about, it's this 1,000 years that John mentions. See, a lot of people, they start to take Revelation literally right here in this chapter. For 19 chapters previously, people go, yes, John's using symbolic language, he's using metaphor, he's using uh, figures of speech, but then in Revelation channel 20, chapter 20, they say, no, now he's becoming and he's getting literal. Well, there's some issues with that. First of all, we know from Scripture that, especially Revelation, there's a lot of words that are used that John is trying to show us, help us understand a heavenly reality in a earthly way of understanding. And so what John does is he uses numbers like seven, which is a number of completeness. It's a number of perfection. It means uh, all things together in one place. But when he uses the number 10 or 100 or 1,000, it kind of goes like this. First of all, 10 means complete. 10 times 10, 100, that means even more complete. But 10 to the third, 10 times 10 times 10, that means the most completeness that it could ever be. So in connection to this uh, scripture, when he's talking about a thousand years, he's really saying all the years that God commands and wants there to be. All the years that God commands and wants there to be. So it reads something like this. He sees the dragon and bound him all the years that God commands and wants there to be. And he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him until all the years that God commands and wants there to be had ended. And if you understand it like this, then what that means for us today is that we are within this span of time. We are within the thousand years. We're living in it. We're breathing in it. We're active in this world because as scripture says, it began when Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven. That's when Satan lost all his power. Sin and death had been defeated, and it will go on until Christ chooses to come again, and the ultimate battle will take place. We're living in it. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it's very common at this point for two kind of default thoughts to take place in our mind. Number one, I know this in my own heart. I've seen it in the hearts of people that I know. Sometimes we actually don't take Satan and his power seriously enough. But the opposite is also equally true. Sometimes we give Satan too much power. We ascribe to him too much power over our lives, over guilt, over shame. So let's unpack that very practically speaking. What does it mean? What does it look like when we give or we don't take Satan's power uh, seriously enough? We take it too lightly. 
A couple years ago, a Christian research group named Barna, they do Christian research to help church workers, lay people understand trends within religious thought in America, and Barna did a groundbreaking survey. They asked Christians, do you believe the devil is a real being? This is what they discovered. Only 26% of Christians believe that Satan is a real being, while 40% of those surveys said that Satan is not a real being, but just a spiritual symbol of evil, and the rest of those people are everywhere in between that, but only 26%. That means that there's some people here today. Is Satan a real being? Does he have power in this world? And I get that, and I think as we look out of Christianity, let's just talk about our culture for a second. The reason it's so easy to think this and to minimize the power that Satan has or not even believe in him at all is because of comedy like Saturday Night Live. Now, I Stopped watching Saturday Night Live a long time ago. In fact, the last time I watched it was probably right around when Jason Sudeikis was on the show, back when it was funny. (laughs) Little sidebar. And he played the role of the devil, and he reprised that role last weekend, so I had to tune in because I really like Jason Sudeikis as an actor. Me and Pastor Nate love ourselves some Ted Lasso. And he reprised the role, and in this role, the devil, he says outlandish things like, I invented Bitcoin. I invented Instagram for kids. I invented the little ad that's on your mobile phone that you can't get away when you're trying to read an article. See, it's funny, it's satirical. And yet there's some truth to this that we can laugh at images of the devil in a very cartoonish way, a very not serious way, because it deflects from what we know to be true in our own heart that we ourselves are actually capable of sinning, that we're evil. And it's easy to deflect from that and to not take the devil seriously, not take his power seriously, not take our own sin seriously, again, to deflect away what is the potential in our own heart. And so what do we do? Well, we point at other people. They're the evil ones, not me. I'm a a good person. And what's really happening in our country, I think I think I speak uh, for a lot of people in our culture outside of Christianity. What's growing and growing in popularity is this idea of karma, It's a Buddhist system of thought, and there's what's now called New Age Buddhism in our country, and whether or not you call yourself a uh, Buddhist, chances are, if you're not a Christian, or even us as Christians, we can fall into this. We think of sin in terms of this. Here's a quote from a New Age, New Buddhist magazine called Positive Residence. When asked the question, is there such a thing as sin, they say no. Instead, this is what they say, that in life, every action is either based on fear or based on love. Those are essentially our only two choices. And in our earth existence, there is a spiritual law that is properly known as karma. Karma is simply the universe's natural way of maintaining balance. Karma is simply the universe's natural way of maintaining balance, which means in this system of thought, there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as sin. The bad things that happen in this world is just the universe's natural way of maintaining balance. Well, to be very personal with you today, how do you say that to a young woman who's just been sexually assaulted? How do you say that to a child who has been trafficked in the country of Honduras, has been told that 
If their parents give a certain amount of money, they'll be able to make it to the United States. Instead, they're sold into slavery or they're on a journey that they'll never get anywhere in their life. How do I say that to you here today if you've just experienced loss and you're missing a loved one? Students here today, if you've been picked on and bullied at your school, how do you say it today when you drive out of this place and maybe one of you gets in a car accident and you're seriously injured? How do we say this is the universe's natural way of just maintaining balance? It sounds so lovely, doesn't it? But it's just a way of the human heart to deflect from our own sin, deflect from the ways in which we are actually causing pain in this world, if we can point to other people, if we can make it just this casual thing, it makes us feel a lot better, but we know deep down inside, if you really examine your own heart, that that's not true. Because there's evil in this world that is real and it exists. And when we minimize Satan, when we cast him out like he's just this playful, cartoonish character, we have real spiritual risk and danger in our life of actually walking away from God forever because what happens is when you minimize your sin, when you don't repent, it cheapens the grace of Jesus Christ and you believe the lie that you can take care of yourself and you can fix your own problems and you can protect your heart in this kind of cartoonish way. Let's not minimize the power of Satan. But on the other hand, it's equally true, and it's equally, I think, the default of the human heart is to give Satan too much power, to give him too much control in our life. And I'll give you an example, a real story. It happened several years ago. I was uh, mentoring one of our students in youth group. He came to me. He confessed a sin. He had a lot of guilt and shame. He did something that, that caused pain, and he himself was feeling that pain, feeling that guilt, feeling that shame. We talked about it. He repented. I looked him in the eyes, I shared the gospel with him, the promise that yes, there's gonna be consequences in this world, but you are good with God, he loves you. That's why he went to the cross for this exact moment, so you could experience his grace and his love. You and God are good. This young man, the next Sunday, went to church, he received the sacrament, and I was, saw him going up to the altar, and I prayed for him in that moment, God, would you please give this young man what he needs, assure him that he is good with you, that you have won over his life, that, that there's forgiveness in you, oh Lord. But the very next Wednesday, you know what he did? He came to youth group, and he had the same tears in his eyes, and he looked at me, and he says, I just don't, I just don't believe it. There's no way that God could forgive me. And this process went over again. I say the same things. And he goes to communion, and the next Wednesday he would come back. It was like if the gospel was an arrow, I was pulling back the bow, and I would release it, and that arrow would go to his heart, and there's a big metal shield around it. It would just bounce off his heart. So that's an example of getting Satan too much power and control in our life. It's as if Revelation chapter 20 didn't happen, that Jesus is not the great victor, but that Satan has somehow overcome the battle, and that Jesus' death and resurrection meant nothing to this young man. But let's talk about ourselves here. Are you stuck in guilt and shame? Are you giving Satan too much power and control over the things that you have done and you've repented, but you just can't believe this, this gospel is too good to be true. How can it be? If that's you, let's go back to Scripture here and look with me at Revelation chapter 20, but let's look at this battle, the final battle. Verse 9. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, and they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. This is Jerusalem. 
But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the ultimate righteous revenge story. This is Braveheart. This is Gladiator. This is the Godfather. If you want a sports analogy, this is the Rockies finally winning World Series. (laughs) This is the victory. Which means that Satan doesn't have power over your life, as Cassie and and Jacob told us. This is the power that belongs to Jesus, and Jesus alone, he has won the victory over sin and death, and your guilt and shame are gone. When you repent, and when you confess of those things that weigh you down, you are good with Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's the gospel. When we look at this text, when we understand that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle, and yet when we understand that the reality of God's grace overflows, that the victory is ultimately the Lord's, that means the victory is ultimately ours, what that does for us is actually change the trajectory of our lives. It gives us a greater purpose. It gives us greater meaning. You know, for example, we're going to go out after this second service. My wife and I and our son, we have a basketball game. I was the coach of the boys last year, but I got fired by my wife (laughs) and now she's the head coach and we're going to go to this basketball game and you know we go to these games and maybe some of you have had this experience before you're in this right now your kids play sports we're not going to this basketball game just to win a game just to teach basketball no because Christ is victorious because he is on the throne we're going to this basketball game with greater meaning and purpose We want to teach the boys the game of basketball, yes, but if the Lord would open up a conversation that one of these young men could hear about the victory of Jesus Christ that is theirs, hallelujah, what an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. If you're going to school on Monday, you're not just going to school to learn. You're not just going to school to get a college degree, to get a job someday. You're going to school because you represent the king of the universe, the king of kings. You have a chance to bring that gospel light into the world everywhere you go. This is the purpose and the meaning that God gives us if you're going to work on Monday and you hate your job and you're doing it for the money. You're not just going to work if you're a Christian to make money and to do the job, whatever it is. You're going to work to represent the king of kings if you're going back to an assisted living place. You're not just going there to end out your days and hope that someday it is gonna be over. No, you're going back to that place because there's people in there that need the hope of Jesus Christ, and God's calling you, Christian, to be his light and his love and his presence in this world. Now, look. It's not going to be easy. Go back and look at verse 4. John sees those whose heads have been removed from their body, martyrs, who are given the ultimate sacrifice to bring forward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if God's going to call you to be a martyr or not. I'm not suggesting you go to work and you start talking about Jesus to the point where you upset somebody and they want to lop off your head. Don't do that. But it's not going to be easy. There's going to be times when we feel awkward in the conversation. There's going to be times when we're put in dangerous situations. There's going to be times when God's called us not to be safe, but to be faithful. And how we do that, the only way that we can do that is by looking at this image that we have in Revelation chapter 20, the ultimate victory belonging to Jesus Christ, the ultimate victory that's been given to us today. It is yours, my friends. It's yours because Jesus Christ won the ultimate 
victory. Where does he stand? We'll close with this, verse 11. John says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. The victory is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen.